Good morning. Yeah, sorry, adjust this drum up. Well, as I mentioned in the, in the uh, beginning of the service, this is the first Sunday of the season of Lent, and it's a time for us to think about our need and our mortality before God, but also the good news that such things, are, our need is not the final word, but that Christ has acted as the final word for us in his death and resurrection. And during this season of Lent, we're going to look at the Psalms of Ascent. You can see a note in your order of worship about the sermon series. If you open up your Bible, if you just kind of open it to the middle, it's a good chance that you'll land on a psalm. There's 150 of them, and they take up a pretty good section of the, the middle of, your, of a Bible. And the psalms, maybe we're familiar with them, maybe we're not, but they are the prayer book or the song book of God's people. And one, The way I want us to think about them this morning is that they are God's words given to us, given to us that we may speak to God, given to us that we may find our voice and our hearts and bring them to God. In this way, the Psalms are a gift from God. They're a gift that remind us that God's desire is not simply that you and I would learn some different doctrines or that we would practice certain religious activities. That's true. God values what is true in our activities. But more than that, God wants us. That God desires us in a personal way to find joy and trust and who God is, to give ourselves fully to God. And the Psalms are a gift to help us to bring our hearts, our fears, our joys, our worries, our shame, our thanks, all these things to God. And if you look through the 150 Psalms, you'll find all these different emotions, different experiences directed towards God. Well, during the season of Lent, we're going to look at a collection of 15 of those Psalms. They're called the Psalms of Ascent or Ascents. And we don't know exactly where that title comes from, but most scholars think that the explanation is that these 15 were set apart to use on the journey to Jerusalem, that part of a pilgrimage that would be made for the annual feasts and worship time in the temple, that as Jewish pilgrims would make their way to Jerusalem, that they would sing these songs. And so we're invited to pray with them these songs for the journey, and when we do, we're joining voices, not just now, but voices from long ago. We could even think, for example, of Joseph and Mary. They would have sung these songs as they took young Jesus to Jerusalem. And that Jesus himself would have sung these songs when he and his disciples made their way to Jerusalem for the Passover or for other feasts. We're going to look at five of these 15 over the next few weeks, next Sundays, as we make our way to Palm Sunday and Easter. And in particular, as we look at these, I want us to think about the theme of discipleship, what it means to order our life around Jesus' teaching and Jesus' life. I mentioned before, I'll mention again, that there's a book that we had set apart or recommended if you want to have something to read during Lent by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. And in that book, he uses the Psalms of Ascent to ask the question, what does it look like for us to order our lives around Jesus, the one that we want to follow? So let's look at our passage. This is Psalm 121. It's in your order of worship. You can read there or you can follow it in your Bible. A Song of Ascent. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that you give it to us for our good. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we gather here, that by your spirit you'd help us to listen and to hear, and that we would receive your word and it would move us to find rest and hope in you, our keeper, the one who watches over us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we look at our passage and make our way through the sermon, I, I want us to, to look at two observations. I want to make two observations, then make two reflections about what it means for us. So two observations first. And I want to start by saying that I can remember back in junior high, long ago, that I went on a scouting trip to a place called Red River Gorge in Kentucky. It wasn't too far from where I grew up in Cincinnati. And when we got to this beautiful place in Kentucky, my scout master gathered us all together. And the scout master, I have to say, was a serious guy. He was a former helicopter pilot for the Army. He flew helicopters in Vietnam. And when he said things, people listened to him. So he gathered us around, to, and he, I can remember this still. You know, it's weird how certain memories stick with you. He looked at us very seriously, seriously and said, don't go wandering off, don't leave the trail, or you will fall in the gorge. <laughs> you will fall in the gorge. So I remember that very clearly, thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to do what he says. Still sticks in my mind, that picture. And I can say, no one from the group fell in the gorge. We did pretty much what he said, I think. If anyone didn't, they were, you know, safely didn't fall in the gorge. But I mentioned that scene, if you can picture that, something of that nature, because our passage, the psalm, is one of a traveling psalm, one that invites us to think about a path that we walk on, to stay where we are or to wander off. The first observation is that this passage is a traveling song or a traveling psalm and prayer. Did you notice feet on the path, departing and returning, traveling that takes both day and night? And we're invited by the nature of this prayer to think of faith, to think of life as a journey. This metaphor allows us to think about setting out, about heading off on a path. It also allows us to imagine wandering or fatigue, dangers, bumps on the road. In our psalm, he mentions three particular dangers, possibilities of harm. A person traveling can step on a loose stone and lose his or her footing. A person traveling can be exposed to the elements, to the hot sun, to becoming faint. And a person traveling is subject to the evil intentions and the actions of others. Awareness of such challenges awareness of such traveling possibilities is maybe why many scholars have pointed out that the Psalms of Ascent, including this one, contain what one calls a mild sadness, <laughs> a mild sadness. And I want us to, to think about that, that, that there, the Psalm, even here, and as we'll see it over the next couple of weeks, that there is an ache to arrive. We know that experience, right, of traveling and, and getting to the point where we just want to get to where we're headed, a weariness, 
And the song here and the others throughout this section of the Psalter have an awareness that we are on our way and we have not yet arrived where we want to be. And in particular, this psalm, this longing is expressed in a calling out for help. A person sets out, feels exhausted or sets out and gets into trouble and she or he cries out for help. Can you picture the scene with me? A, a traveler on her way pauses and lifts up her eyes. To lift up our eyes, right? What does that suggest? It is a movement of an appeal, of, of a longing. And here the question is, where is my help? It's always worth acknowledging that this psalm is written thousands of years ago. But yet it leads us here to a universal human question, a human moment. Where do I look for help? Where do you find strength? What do you trust, especially in the moments of weariness, of sadness, of trouble? Illinois is known for probably a number of things, maybe good or bad, uh, but it's known for being flat. That's one thing. Anyone that has driven in Illinois knows that it is remarkably flat. And so it's interesting, right, in our passage that we're invited to think of hills, to think of mountains. I, have a, I can remember a couple winters ago, my children heading off to Winnemac Park over there with a sled in hand and me thinking how sad it is that they're going to go sled down some small little, little incline, you know, <laughs> a few feet. That's the mountains of Illinois. So we have to look beyond our borders to think about and to imagine and to appreciate the geography of mountains, of hills, of going out west and seeing the things that reach into the sky, these mountains on the horizon. Or even across the border into Missouri and see the rolling hills that remind us that things aren't flat, that there is this geography that invites us to lift our eyes upward. Here and probably many other places in literature, the hills or the mountains are symbols of that which surround us. They are symbols of speak of strength and of certainty. And to lift our eyes up it is part of asking the question, where do I find help? Where do I find strength? What, what do I trust? And one of the things that's not said in the psalm, but we know is true from our own experience of traveling this life, is that when we lift up our eyes and we ask the question, where does help come from? there are a number of offers given to us. Whether directly or indirectly, there are many suggestions that are made about things that we can purchase or things that we can acquire, things that we might have that can offer us help. But as many offers come forward, we can remember what the prophet Jeremiah said, that truly the hills are a delusion. Truly the hills are a delusion that many of the offers of help that are given to you and to me are lies, that will not help us on the journey, but will only make it more burdensome. So on our journey, we ask, where does my help come from? And the psalm starts off, and it invites us right away to affirm, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth, that title for God, comes actually in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, and it goes throughout that this is the God who is not part of creation, but the one who has made all that we see and all that we do not see. And that we are pointed, if we want to find help that will endure and help that will be good, to not look at what has been made, but look at the maker of heaven 
and earth. Well, the sadness and the weariness, the the question, the confession of, of God are not spoken in isolation. When we ask a question, right, when we ask where, we are entering into a dialogue. The first observation was that our psalm is a traveling psalm. The second observation for us to enter into our passage with is that this passage has a dialogue within it. You might not notice it right away, but did you see that there are two different pronouns that are used in our passage? The first part, the first couple of verses, use the first person. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. But then there is a switch in the second part and throughout the rest of the psalm to the second person. The Lord will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Our passage is set as a dialogue. Now we don't know, maybe it's an internal dialogue between a person and his or her soul. Through the Spirit, the soul is speaking both for itself and to itself. We know what that's like, right? That we talk to ourselves regularly, that we have a dialogue. Sometimes that's helpful, and sometimes it's not. But here we could also be a dialogue between two persons, one encouraging the other. And what's the significance of noticing this structure, this dialogue, that may be due to weariness or maybe due to doubt, wounded upon the journey? This confession of the Lord as my help is both a genuine confession, but it is one that needs assurance. Can you relate to that? It is both genuine, but it also needs assurance. Is this the right place for me to place my source of help? Is this true? And the dialogue tells us that we need voices inward and outward that encourage us and assure us, that ask us, who or what are you trusting We need help directing our trust to God. And this is true no matter who you are, no matter our experience. You, me, anyone that we meet, we need assurance and encouragement to remember God. And as I was thinking about this dialogue, one of the things that came to my mind was a passage in Scripture. Maybe you're familiar with it, but it's a scene in which there is a father and a son asking for help from Jesus. The father is there with his ailing son asking for somebody to help his son. And he comes to Jesus and asks for help. And Jesus asks him if he believes and says, if you have faith, it will be okay. And what is the father's response? Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Similar thing here that this psalm invites us to a confession. The Lord is my help but I also need voices to remind me that that is true and it's worth confessing and holding on to. Well, the trust in the Lord is supported by a series of assurances and part of this dialogue, a fellow believer or a friend or the Spirit speaking in the soul says six times that the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is guarding. The Lord is keeping you. Be assured, my friend, Be assured, my soul, like a vigilant watchman, the Lord who keeps you will not sleep nor slumber. In contrast to human limitations, there is no time that God is not awake. Be assured, my beloved, be assured, my friend, the Lord is a shade at our right hand. 
Nothing of the day nor the night can harm us if God is keeping guard. He is our help against the adversaries that we see in the day and the hidden adversaries that we encounter in the night. Be assured, my fellow traveler, my sister, my brother, be assured the Lord's keep is complete. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Keep all of your life. Keep your going in and your coming out. And the Lord will do this from now and forevermore. The psalm invites us to see this piling on of poetic description. And do you notice the intensity, the completeness of this invitation to assurance that God will keep us from all harm. Watch over our lives. Watch over our coming and going now and forever. These two observations of the journey and of a dialogue, they encourage us and they tell us in the face of our adversaries, in the face of our own weariness, in the midst of our sadness, our hope, our enduring help is the trustworthiness of our God. My soul, my friend, my brother, my sister, where else will you seek help? Where else will you look? Well, looking at these two observations, I want us to also have two reflections for our journey, for our faith. And the first one is that we need to avoid a potential mistake as we read this psalm. The book I mentioned by Eugene Peterson highlights this well. We can make the mistake of equating faith with the removal of all problems or difficulties. There's the possibility that you think this, that we think this, or that we've been told this. When we say yes to God, all of our problems are solved. All of our questions answered, all of our trouble over. Or on the flip side, if we do have problems, if we have accidents, difficulties, arguments, problems in our marriage or family, wrong things in our business life, then there's something wrong with your faith. This equation of true faith equaling no problems or problems equaling no true faith is not what our psalm is saying to us this morning. It's not what the Christian faith of the good news tells you and me. If we think about that, it's actually, it's, there's a deep pride that somehow my every step is based on how effective I am in having faith towards God. Christian faith and the scriptures invite us into a deep honesty about our life. The psalm, while asserting and affirming assurance, it also by its very nature tells us that the journey will be difficult. When it speaks of God watching over us, it implies that we need watching, that there's much on the path or in this journey that will be difficult, that our psalm even affirms that we need help along the way. And so we need to be honest about that reality and not put our help in ourselves or in how we'll control our faith. The second thing for us to think about this morning is then what does it mean to be a disciple? If it's not that we remove all of our problems, then what is this psalm inviting us to? An author writes, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on, breathe the same air, drink the same water, shop the same stores, read the same newspapers, 
was written a while ago, or citizens under the same government, fear the same dangers, are subject to the same pressures, and are buried in the same ground. So what's the difference? What our psalm is inviting us to see this morning is a difference of orientation of where we direct ourselves. The Christian life is a giving of ourselves to God. It is entrusting of our lives to God, entrusting our very selves, our lives, our turning of our lives and our wills over to God. An orientation away from myself or my resources or my plans to a God that sees me and I can be united to. C.S. Lewis, the author, writes, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that though Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt and virtue, yet it leads you on out of all of that into something beyond. There's something beyond. And what is that? I want us to hear this morning what the psalm was inviting us to beyond is God himself. God himself. Three times in our passage, God is referred to in a personal name, Yahweh. I am. I am your keeper. I am the one who will guard you. The psalm is inviting you and I in a personal way to bring our worries and our fears and our struggles to God, to see our very past as lived in light of God, lived with God. The Christian life is an invitation for us to honestly see our brokenness, our sin, our shame, our failures, how we've been mistreated, but to bring all of those things and find our identity not in them, but in Christ who has come for us. And therefore here that Christianity is not an invitation, it's not God coming to you and giving you a list of rules or a list of duties, not even coming to give you a list of missions that you're supposed to fulfill but God coming and giving himself to you. Calling you son or daughter. Jesus calling his disciples his friends. When we pray this psalm, when we read the scriptures, when we worship, what is it saying about us? It's actually inviting you and I not to say, look, I've read my Bible today or I've done these good religious things. It's inviting us to see and to feel our vulnerability and to ask, where do I direct it? If I'm honest about seeing it, where do I place it? In Christ, an offering His grace as the place to be received. We know this, that trust is a key part of our life, that we cannot live without trusting, that trust sustains us on the way. And Jesus invites us to trust Him, the one who has come and lived this life, who's died on our behalf and has risen from the dead. And the promise is that all who are united to Christ by faith, that there is nothing in this life that can separate us from Christ. There is nothing in this life that can separate us from God. An author I came across recently wrote, Doubt, doubt is merely the seed of faith, a sign that faith is alive and ready to grow. And I don't know what you think about that, But I thought about that passage when I read our psalm and thought about praying our psalm. For I think the psalm is inviting you and I this morning to see that our worries, our burdens, 
our fear, our anger, our questions, and our doubts, that they are seeds of faith. They are opportunities to ask, where do I seek help? Where do you seek strength? And rather than giving specifics in our passage about different troubles or different solutions, it invites us simply to God, the one who sees you and knows you. Where do we direct our trust? It's possible this morning, as we think about this, as we conclude, as you think, where do you place your trust? Where does my help come from? It's possible that some of us, when we feel this trouble, that where we go is to seek how to ignore or numb or distract ourselves from such things. Distractions will help us through. It's also possible, though, when we feel the trouble and weight of the journey, that the other way is that we hold on tighter, trusting in my resources, my sufficiency, my ability to get through it. As I read the psalm, I I was convicted again of my move to self-sufficiency in the world. Self-sufficiency is championed, right? We can handle whatever comes our way. I can just grip more tightly. But the reality is that self-sufficiency is often the enemy of faith. And why it help you get through the next step, it doesn't fully answer the question of where your help comes from. And Psalm challenges us to not give in to distraction, not to trust ourselves, but to lift our eyes to the God who made us. To look beyond our own resources and beyond ourselves to something else that made us and loves us. This is the invitation of our passage, invitation for us to pray ourselves as we pray Psalm 121, to turn our eyes to God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you for the question, from where does my help come from? Lord, we know this is a very true and real question that all of us feel it ask at times. And Lord, we pray that we would find help, certainly from one another, help from those close to us who love us, but Lord, ultimately we pray that we find help in you, the one who does not sleep or slumber. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.